All right, welcome to the next episode of Teaching That Counts. I almost <laughs> forgot my own podcast name. Jeez, it's been a couple of weeks since I recorded a podcast. Um, like always, my name is Abel Maestas. I am an instructional coach here in Ceres Unified School District. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by two wonderful teachers. We are going to talk about our trip to the Building Thinking Classrooms Conference in Franklin, Indiana, a couple weeks ago. And just some thoughts, the excitement of our trip, (laughs) uh, some of the great things we learned from the conference and some things that we are looking forward to using in our classrooms coming up here at the beginning of the school year. So I'll let them introduce themselves and we'll start our conversation. Hi, I'm Diana Andrade. I am a math teacher at Argus High School here in Ceres Unified. And before we begin, I just want to give a shout out to Franklin High School. What a beautiful campus and very well organized. And um, it was just a very pleasant experience being there with all of those people. For the first time, I thought the conference was very well organized. I agree. I agree. Uh, My name is Sarah Mucha, and I teach math at Central Valley High School in series. Awesome. Yeah, I I want to give a shout out to the Keep Indiana Learning Group. Mm -hmm. They put a lot of time and effort over the last several months putting this thing together. And it was just so well run Uh, for conferences that I've been at. I I was super impressed. Um, The facilities were great. (laughs) I think us coming from California thinking, oh, this is at a high school. How are we going to fit that many people in this place? But that was a pretty impressive um, campus and um, I think the classrooms were big enough the auditorium was beautiful especially for the 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 keynote speakers I just thought it was well well done so shout out great job there keep Indiana learning and the the students there were like the FFA students when you walked in with your your swag bag and like they had a lot of really um, good culture things happening so let's start with day one We got there, the FFA kids greeted us outside, swag bags, pretty cool stuff, and uh, from the get-go, there we go, Peter Lilladal was right in our... Yeah, he was right right there, there. right when he walked in. (laughs) Right when we walked in, um, I got a chance to to talk with him (laughs) briefly, um, get my little, get my book autographed, and... Uh, and I know that Peter sometimes listens to the podcast, and I have an opportunity coming up in either the next podcast or um, one of the next podcasts. Uh, Peter will be on my podcast, so he'll be joining us, and I can't wait to to talk to him about um, his book and the new things that are coming up. So we went into the first uh, keynote. Peter talked about how we got here. How did you feel that keynote went? Um, there was a really cool energy in the room. So many people in that auditorium. From all over, too. Yeah. It wasn't right. just like the Indiana area. Like, obviously, we were from California, but the amount of people, like, I think they said Brazil and Hawaii. China. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. China and Korea, Canada. South Korea, I believe. It was it was impressive, the people from all over the world that were there. And I, I must have been a little 
starstruck or something because I don't have any notes on that first keynote. I didn't put very many notes (laughs) for the first one, but I was really impressed with how well he translated from the book to in person. I kind of had this fearful thing like, oh gosh, like what if he kind of sucks as a public speaker? But he did really well and he was funny. He was charismatic and really made made me feel like, okay, like, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. Or I tried that. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Like I'm on the right track. So it was good like validation and also to feel like I'm in the room with people who have also read the book and also are doing these things and it made me feel good like I was part of a community I like that yeah he mentioned in that it's phenomenal where he was where like nobody it was like no it was got crickets the first time he presented on this years ago and then all of a sudden it just pick up picked up steam over Twitter, over Twitter. social mm-hmm. media, and now we're in this place where we have a full-on conference, national, international, of people that are doing like-minded things and focusing on a specific thing. I was on Twitter the other day, it was either Twitter or Threads, and Robert Kaplinsky had asked a question about, like, if you've gone to this conference, how did you feel uh, you go into a conference that seemed kind of narrow? And I didn't feel like it was narrow at all. I felt there's Mm -hmm. so much in this, in building thinking classrooms. You've got four toolkits, 14 practices, and there was so much for so many different people that I didn't feel like I was getting anything repetitive. Did either of you feel like there was a lot of repetition? I didn't feel like there was a lot of repetition, but there definitely I, I did go to some sessions that covered the same topic, but it was for different grade levels. So because I did want to see, you know, what does that thin slicing look like for a sixth through eighth grade class versus high school? So that way I could kind of make the adjustment to know what their prior knowledge was coming in. The only thing was that some of the sessions that I wanted to attend were... I was unable to because, you know, there were so many people in the room or there were sessions that were more popular than others. And so I didn't get to go to some of the sessions that I originally thought that I wanted to. Yeah, same. Uh, For me, it was just, it was hard to choose because there were so many that were offered at the same time. And, you know, I think I, as I'm looking here through my notes, I have like, you know, four or five of them just checked off in the first session (laughs) alone. So... You know, which, I mean, it's a great thing because they had a lot to offer, but then yet if they weren't offered again, then we weren't able to take advantage of that. But I don't think it was narrow focused at all. I do like, you know, how um, it did delve into other content. So it wasn't just about math. So if you had social study teachers like we did or SPED teachers or English teachers, they were able, and the coaches, right? They were able to go and get really good information to to take back and And admin admin as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the round tables, I didn't attend any, but I think those would have been really good. And then just also for all grade levels. So obviously, you know, we're high school focused, but it was good to know that, you know, there were elementary there as well, because, you know, that that's important to us mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. that that these kids have a really good foundation um, coming up through those elementary ranks. So I was excited to see that as well. Yeah, I got to take my wife who's in an elementary program. She's getting her credential um, this year and she had a great she learned a ton of things mm-hmm. and really sees how kids little kids in k6 can really be engaged in the math 
I think you and I were talking a little er earlier about the curriculum that we have here in series. And, you know, illustrative math is what we use in K6 and K8, actually, it, here at Series Unified. And I really see the Building Thinking Classrooms toolkits as a way to help engage students using the curriculum that we have. And that was one thing that I found in the sessions that I went to was that we all, there were a lot of people that were using a similar curriculum or they were using uh, task-based curriculum yes. resources. Mm -hmm. uh, we heard from people using CPM, open up resources, illustrative math. And I thought that was kind of interesting that it really did align with that first is it the first or second practice of having curricular tasks? I think that's also like encouraging for teachers too, because you have this curriculum that your district is giving you and you can still use that with this book. Like it's in conjunction. So a lot of the presenters were like, use what you have. Like you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You just need to like slice it this way or only give these, or this is how you would roll this out. And so I thought that, that was really powerful because you don't have to think about all these different problems right. that you have to do. <laughs> right. Or like, it's, you know, oh, it's another, here we go. It's yeah, another, another thing. thing. So just, you know, learning. And, and we, you know, we're able to take, to take that last year and, you know, those of us that, that did start that, we, you know, we kind of started those baby step process of that, but, you know, looking forward to starting the new school year and, um, you know, implementing right away and kind of diving headfirst and, and making it uh, connect with our curriculum, I think is what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. I would love to see this, this conference get a bit bigger next year to see how it grows. I mean, this is the first time they've done something like that, and there were a lot of people. It's sold out. I mean, they went virtual. It'd be neat. I was talking to my friend that lives over there in Indianapolis. I'm thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe next year it's all going to be over in the convention center downtown <laughs> just because some things like size. The fireside chats were super popular. I don't know if you saw the line. Did you? Did you? either of you get into one of those fireside chats? You did. You, I remember yes. you getting. Mm -hmm. And I you were number... 100 and I don't know it was like 140 something and <laughs> right. I'm and people kept cutting in front of me and I'm like okay I'm gonna get mad here in a minute but no I made it in they were like you're you'll make it in but it was packed that was you know the only thing I you know maybe doing it at maybe in the auditorium or something where it sat more people but uh, then I can see their point that everybody would be going there and uh, instead of going to the other sessions so but yeah, I attended uh, on day two his uh, fireside about the small things that make a big difference. And that was super powerful. Can you elaborate on some of those sure. things, the small things that make a big difference? <laughs> what are those small things? Sure, oh, a lot, things. a lot, a lot. <laughs> oh my goodness. I have like a page and a half of notes just on that one. But he just talked about, um, you know, he started off by asking you know, the crowd, the audience, okay, what are some of those small things? So he would just, everybody kind of shouted out some things. So, you know, like standing up and to give the directions, uh, only one marker, right? Don't allow more than one marker at the group. No, uh, uh, you know, one person scribing and the others, you know, uh, jotting down others' ideas, but the person with the marker doesn't talk. Obviously the random groups, ungraded checks for understanding, uh, got into a little bit about note making versus note taking, and uh, his he uh, highlighted. Let's see, four things I have highlighted: keep them present, uh, don't remind students of the future, so don't use a timer. 
He said, if you need one, use it for yourself, but not the students. So uh, they don't see that end game. Uh, don't have an agenda for the lesson. If you have to have it for admin, then have it somewhere. But the students, it's not important to the students because then they'll just know, okay, well, I did ABC, I'm done. Yeah. You know, maybe mm -hmm. those kids that work through things. Um, give one task at a time because, you know, 80% of the students will get overwhelmed. 20% of them will race to finish if uh, you do provide that agenda or give them all the tasks at once. No one ever gets to be done. I think he spent a lot of time on that. So there's no uh, finish in, you know, in that class time. So never let them finish, never let them sit down. As a teacher, never, uh, let, uh, never run out of questions. So you always have to have more for them. So that's kind of where I'm uh, thinking about for you know this coming school year. And then a little bit on the consolidation, no group ever presents their own work. Um, and then he had a very long discussion about not posting the learning intention. Oh, oh, controversial. Yeah, I know. Let's it was see, very controversial. Wonder, you know, who's going to talk about yeah, this one here in our district? Very controversial. So not posting the learning intention. Not posting the learning intention. Okay, so he said, your ultimate goal is as long as those students. He says, if again, if you need it, it can be somewhere on your desk. So if somebody walks in, what are you doing? Okay, it's on the desk. But if the kids. The ultimate goal is at the end of your lesson, at the end of the day, if the kids are walking out of the room knowing what they were supposed to have learned, what they did today, what did you learn today? And if that's accurate, he says, then that's, that's your ultimate goal as a teacher. I wonder if I talked, you know, I thought I've been thinking about this and my teaching in the past and putting the objective right from the get go putting the objective of the learning intention on the board, everyone can see it and the success criteria at the very beginning, what we're going to do. But I often thought about my own teaching in that sometimes I don't want that in the beginning of the class. There are sometimes because don't. I don't want to give away the <laughs> trick. Mm -hmm. Like there's going to be something cool that we learned today and I don't want to give it away until you've had a chance to take a look at some of the things in process. So I, I, I've done that a lot in the past where I have some sort of task that I want the students to think about and explore through and then get to the mathematics that we're going to solidify later on. But if I tell them in the beginning what the mathematics are that I'm going to solidify, I've totally blown all curiosity mm -hmm. that the students might have. And so... I almost feel like there should, there's a time and a place for the learning intention and success criteria. That doesn't always have to be at the very beginning. It could be I actually show it to them after they've done some things right before the consolidation or maybe right after the consolidation when you get into the note taking. I find that interesting, though, that that he even says, I like, don't even put I wonder if at the in the exit ticket, like we give them an exit ticket, you ask them, what did you learn today? Or like, and if, what do you think the objective was for today? Like, right. you write the mm -hmm. objective, put it back on the student. Oh my gosh, write the objective and the success mm -hmm. and success criteria for today's lesson, right. and then see how many got what they were supposed to get. Right. Well, and then that's in, pretty powerful. In his last keynote, the what's next, he did say no exit ticket. 
<laughs> so he, yeah, he doesn't no want exit. us using exit tickets. He but said no exit tickets. Yeah, no exit that. ticket. But um, some other things uh, disincentivize speed. So again, going back to no one uh, gets to be done. He said groups do not get to move on until everyone can explain. So mm-hmm. not just, uh, you know, the couple people who get it. Then uh, his third one was push forward, pull back. So push forward on process, pull back on the answers. He said, give them the answers and then, yeah, you know, let them. We, yeah, that we today. do that mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Also push forward on the student, pull back on the teacher. So students don't see the teacher as the center of the universe, which made me think of like my years past teaching. Right. So when, you know, kids are great when you're there and then when you're gone, they're like, oh, my God, we don't know how to do any of this stuff. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, because. So yeah, exactly. And then the last one was small change is no change. Um, oh, we talked about that, I think, in his keynote later on, too. Yeah, and then about, he talked about shooting the horse. That was the, <laughs> he did the analogy the with the shooting the horse. But let's see, my notes just say, have conversations with students about changes and processes after you've done them, and then allow students to think that you're asking them for permission. Wow, that's and, a loaded fireside chat. Jeez. Yeah, it was it was a lot. Um, it was great, and I, I wish it would have been about an hour longer because I think he had a lot more to share and a lot more questions probably could have been asked. But um. One of our teachers, Sydney Merchant, went to uh, one of his fireside chats. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was on assessment. I'm not sure. I think it was the it first was. day, yeah. The first day, and mm-hmm. she said it was amazing. And I, I think a lot of people got a lot of – stuff out of those fireside chats i went to the coaching one and i got a lot of stuff like i was like wow that makes so much sense and it's going to help me i think in my coaching this year so i'm pretty excited about implementing some of the things he talked about where teachers are in their space um, in terms of their learning and how to implement some of these new things and how to help teachers implement these things so I, I loved those fireside chats. Um, I can't wait to to hear more. So those were the, uh, probably the highlight for me was was that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe Peter, if he's out there listening, he can uh, pop on and do some virtual ones maybe once in a while. And oh, virtual <laughs> fireside have some, chats. He'd have yeah. some pretty big audiences probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'll ask him about that. <laughs> So one of the things that we saw at the conference that a lot of presenters did is they used uh, vertical non-permanent surfaces. And one way that you can get really pretty good heavy-duty vertical non-permanent surfaces is using white books. And white books, you can go online, whitebooks.com, and they have a ton of options. They have small ones. They have large heavy-duty ones. I like the heavy-duty ones. They last uh, at least for a year, but they do last a little bit longer. You can put them up anywhere in your class. One great thing I love about them is it's got a, I think it's got a blank side and a gridded side. So you can do graphing and um, different things that you can do on a grid. So check them out. They've got a lot of great things for you to use for your vertical non-permanent surface options. What were some of the, in general, I think there were so many great opportunities for K-12 teachers to learn about how to put these practices, well, into practice. We learned later on in the 
last um i wouldn't call it the it was it was the second to the last but it was the second uh, keynote where you talk about where we're going mm-hmm. and talked about um i think we talked a little bit about mild medians medium and spicy problems yes. um, a lot about note taking and one thing i just want to mention is when he did that example where he was doing the uh the parabola and he was going through the parabola and he's like take those notes he's going to be on the test and i i i looked around and there were people like making the table and writing the stuff down and making the parabola and i was thinking to myself why why are they doing that like what i was thinking personally i was thinking like are they learning how to like if they're learning how to do a parabola and they need it for later like i guess but i don't think this session is about learning how to make a parabola and i think you made that point too is like some of you took the notes just because we're like wired to take down everything that we see but what's important in taking notes mm-hmm. we have to decide what the important part is and it might it's not everything right so i thought that was interesting how now i'm not saying if you're listening to this podcast and you were the people taking notes <laughs> <laughs> i'm not saying uh you know i'm not trying to bash anybody about taking notes i just it's an interesting I guess, psychological example that we were wired that way because that's the environment that we grew up in. And we're trying to change that for our students to take more responsibility and autonomy for what they're learning. And so I think one of the most powerful statements he made that I've been telling people too is that we want to move from accountability Mm -hmm. to responsibility. And I think that's such a powerful statement because we were I know so many teachers that are so adamant about making kids accountable for things rather than making kids responsible for things. And there's a there's a difference in that. So that was kind of one of my big ahas going into to uh, coming out of the conference and then now going in next year, how to help teachers like look at those notes. How do we do some of these more practices within the classes and then really how to work with teachers that are in different spaces what are this is a question for each of you what are your big takeaways that you're looking at helping you into next year um i think the thin slicing is something that i want to get better at i feel like most of the time when i did the thin slicing it was because i planned with you and so Mm. like it wasn't really me doing it on my own so um i want to get to a point where i feel confident in the thin slicing um and working on the consolidation and the notes part so like i know that sounds like a lot and it kind of is (laughs) but um that's my goal for right now i'm not gonna really uh go into the whole assessment piece because I feel like that's that chapter was the most overwhelming for me but I think the thin Mm -hmm. slicing and the consolidation with the notes like I feel a little bit more confident going into this school year with like okay my notes page is going to look like this and like these are what the subtopics are going to be and this is how I'm going to teach students you know how to annotate notes and like 
I'm going to incorporate those gallery walks where students are doing things on vertical whiteboards for what they would put in their notes and have their peers be like, well, I think this is important. Those are the things that I'm looking forward to this school year. And both of you, just for context, and I'm sure if you've been listening to this podcast, you're familiar with Diana and Sarah. They've been on the podcast before as we were going through the book over the course of the year. You have been doing building theme classrooms, at least the first toolkit and possibly even some of the second and toolkit over the course of this last year. So you're in year two of implementing some of these. So I just wanted to give everybody kind of context around that, that you've already been doing vertical non-permanent surfaces, random groups, um, curricular and non-curricular tasks. Now it's Mm -hmm. refining some of those things. So yeah, refining and making them more uh, routine, right? So I know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, some, some days, you know, you get away from from that. So I think for me, making those things routine and what my focus is, is, uh, you know, exactly what Sarah said, because I think we've already delved into parts of it. I think for me as a teacher, also the thin slicing and the consolidation as the two things that I need to hone in on this uh, coming school year. And I'm going to go back and read those sections, reread those sections in my book um, before school starts. So I, I know we attended, Sarah and I both attended uh, a session together on a high school uh, thin slicing and got some really good ideas out of that. And, you know, just thinking about how does that look in our classroom? You know, how, you know, how does that look in each lesson? And so I'm excited. I'm excited to focus on those two notes for me. I'm I'm still kind of kicking around, like, what is that going to look like in my class? He did give some good ideas in that last session or um, his second to last keynote on the what's next. And then following the Facebook group also, there's just like a ton of things every day. There's people posting, oh, look at this template I made. What do you guys think? So a lot of sources out there, resources for sure. I think also just like finding the balance between the vertical non-permanent surfaces and the notes. I feel like I was pretty heavy on the vertical non-permanent surfaces. And so I got a lot of feedback from students this past year. And so I feel like trying to find a balance there is between the vertical non-permanent surfaces and the notes. So let's talk about three things. Um, We're going to kind of wrap this up, but I want to talk about three things and then Um, We're pretty much just going to give our last shout out to this uh, conference committee. But the three things I want to talk about just as we go on are the three things that you had mentioned just just before. Given your experience last year. So the three things we're going to talk about real quick are the vertical non-permanent services, the um, note taking and the consolidation based on your experience last year. And the feedback, because I'd love to hear a little bit about that feedback that you got from the students. What are some things that were successes in using the vertical non-permanent surfaces or the the uh, random assignments? Like, what were some of the feedback that we got from the students, or some of the, just the feedback that you saw where students felt successful, or they? Uh, or they, you know, some real data that they were successful in what they were doing? 
Well, I mean, I de- tracking data, like as far as their assessments, like I definitely saw improvement overall for their summative assessments as we started doing the vertical non-permanent surfaces. Um, at the end of the school year, I did give um, a reflection form to students and it was more on the course. What, what do you feel like made you successful for this course? And there were a handful of students that said like, I wish we would have started with the vertical whiteboards earlier. Like I really understood it. But you also had the other side of it. So, I mean, it's not going to be a perfect system, but I do feel like students were able to explain what they were doing to to their peers and they were able to show that on the assessments. Yeah, I um, I think I, I feel the same way. I think for me, the biggest difference was the engagement. So when kids are sitting at their desks, I mean, it's obvious they're not engaged. If they're mm-hmm. on their devices, they're zoning out, whatever the case may be. But as soon as you say, nope, you're not sitting, you know, you're going to be up, they might moan and groan a little bit, but the engagement is there. And to me, that's the biggest thing. Like once they're up and they're engaged, you know, there's there's going to be thinking and there's going to be some learning that's occurring. Um, so to me, that was kind of the biggest the biggest change uh, was, you know, just getting them up and getting them engaged. I've always been, I've always liked my students to be up and moving, never really, you know, um, had implemented these specific things about uh, BTC, but for sure, you know, working in those thin slicing problems this year, I definitely see that that's, you know, going to be a big positive. One of the things at the end of the school year, I will share one of, this is like, you know, my biggest um, hooray for the year was one of my students on on the second to last day of school. She said goodbye to me. And she said, I'm not going to be here tomorrow, but I wanted to say goodbye today. And I wanted to thank you because you made me want to learn again. Mm-hmm. And oh, so that to me was like the biggest, you know, that that to me was the biggest compliment any student has ever given me. And and I do attribute it a lot to some of the strategies that we've been implementing in BTC. Yeah. You know, moving forward, the exit ticket data, the quiz data, the standardized test data, like, like that's one element. But I think the other element that we miss that this helps us with that I'd love to be able to gather the, those data are the human data mm-hmm. that, you know, our students aren't just, you know, test takers, they're humans mm-hmm. and we need to see what their math agency looks like. Mm-hmm. Do they, are they more engaged? Mm-hmm. Do they feel like they want to be in class more? Do, are they happy when they leave? Are they, do they feel at the end of the year, you know, I am a math person. I never thought I was. So those types of things, I'd love to hear more from students. And we heard, I heard in a previous episode, we heard from um, Sydney Merchant students and those were, um, and the kids were saying, yeah, I, I, I feel more confident. I like working with people, the students. And Sydney had told me later on that her kids just, they were more confident about math. They weren't mm-hmm. afraid of the test. And that right there is enough okay. data to, to tell you that these things work. I'd, I'd be interested to do like a pre and post survey 
mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning of the year, maybe we can come up, Sarah and I can come up with some kind of common yeah. quick um, survey that they can take at the beginning of the year and then give it to them again at the end of the school year and just see, because then that could be something measurable because you are, you know, you're right. You're not that, that does not measure the, uh, um, the human piece, the interaction as far as collaborating with their peers. That is so important. And the relationship you build with them, right? You don't know, like I went all year thinking, okay, you know, you can go all year and you're like, are these kids listening? Am I making a difference? Am I getting through to them? You know, uh, where I'm at, at the continuation hype, to me, it's like, you know, if they can do the math, great, but I, I need that other piece, uh, you know, in order to, to get to them. And, and so, you know, you go day in and day out and you don't know, but then that one comment, you know, 24 hours before school is out, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was like, okay, awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do think that it really like built, uh, built communities within the class periods. Even like my bigger classes, like I still felt the community versus my class of 19, you know? So like, I think mm-hmm. um, the community piece was definitely big with building relationships with the students. And I think that the book helped with that because they they do need to like know how to work with other students, how to communicate, how to, you know, and when you tell parents at back to school night or open house, like, yeah, this is what we're going to be doing. And their, their child is shy. And so they're saying, well, good. Like they need to learn how to do that, you know? So (laughs) that was kind of nice. So very quickly, the other two, and, and when I say quickly, this is pretty much just like one sentence really quickly. What are your, plans for note-taking, any changes that you're going to make to your note-taking and consolidation that you learned from the conference? The sec- the second keynote, I guess, um, where he had basically the four quadrants, like I would like to do that on vertical whiteboards where um, they have kind of like a prior knowledge box, then they have a example question from myself, uh, create their own, and then things to remember, doing that as an activity to kind of work towards getting them to know how to fill in their notes. Mm-hmm. But definitely trying to have a nice structure with space, but not too much space. So that way students can hone in on the things that are really important for them. Because what they write down might be different than, um, you know, the person next to them. Yeah, ditto on that. I really like the four quadrant idea. So I'm going to try to implement that into my note taking as well as a lot of the, um, I, I did attend um, a, a session for at-risk students, and a lot of it was, you know, uh, front-loading. So, you know, providing the vocabulary, the sentence frames you want the students to use while they're collaborating, and using the proper vocabulary that fits in there. So I thought that was um, pretty good. So I'm going to try to implement that as well uh, into uh, my four quadrant and the note-taking piece. Great. Well, thank you again for joining me today on this episode. And uh, again, I just want to give a quick shout out to the Keep Indiana Learning group that put on this conference. Uh, It was, uh, aside from the smoke and the weather and the crazy blackout (laughs) in our hotel room, uh, the conference (laughs) itself was fabulous. And I look forward to more more conferences like this where we can really share our um, our work in building thinking classrooms and and the successes that it's having across well across the country and I guess internationally. Last thing I want to say, 
before we leave, um, Diana mentioned this before. If you're looking at doing building thinking classrooms, you want some ideas, visit the Facebook page. There's a ton of resources that people share and some great ideas that you can get from the Facebook page, Building Thinking Classrooms on Facebook. So again, thank you for joining me and we will talk to you on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.